Greetings, amigos and amigas. This is Mike from Top 10 with Kyle and Mike. This week, as every week, Kyle and I will be discussing a topic. We'll be discussing the top 10 things about that topic, actually. So we're going to debate, we're going to chat, we're going to laugh, we're going to cry. And at the end of it, we're going to have a definitive top 10. But this week, as has happened once or twice before, we're going to have dear friend Jameson. He's going to be joining us. He's got the topic this week. So boys, what's this week's topic? So, as will uh, surprise some long-time listeners, I've actually come with a topic this time. <laughs> yeah, we've not we've not pinned your arms down and told you what to talk about. <laughs> yeah, so this one, I think you both will get quite a lot of enjoyment out of and possibly may be more knowledgeable about than I, but it is top 10 cinematic battle scenes. Ooh. Mm. I immediately have so many questions about the rules. So <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have to take a little time sorting through these. So let's start with the overarching ground rule that I laid down. These are major battle scenes. So we're talking, as a ground rule, over 30 people involved. Okay. Not one-on-one combat, not just small groups fighting, like five to ten people. We're talking large-scale battle scenes. There have to be some nameless people in this crowd. Yes. And, by, and like a lot of nameless people. In- inevitably, probably CGI folk involved. <laughs> if I'm thinking okay. along the lines that I think you're thinking, I'm imagining some CGI folk. <laughs> there will be some CGI folk involved. So that was really... And also, I guess a ground rule was that it could be air, land, or sea. It didn't just have to be limited to a ground battle. That feels suggestive. <laughs> so so I think my biggest question is, does this need to be purely fictional, or could a fictionalized take on something historical be allowed? There, uh, fictionalized takes on something historical will be allowed. Okay. So... There are definitely a few I think we're probably all thinking of. Yeah, we're trying to establish a top 10 of battle scenes across both fictional universes mm-hmm. to real universes. Okay. So it, it's expansive. I'm hoping we get some good debate out of this. It, it should be fun. I can think of, of several right now I'm excited to talk about. Yeah. And I'm I'm hoping we do some alteration to this list because... Uh, I've got a lot of good ones, but there were a lot of honorable mentions, and I'm sure there are plenty I forgot about. Oh, can I well, actually? You know, can I clarify one quick question? Cinematic? Yeah. Are we including all things that are represented uh, in film, so TV, movies, everything like that? So I I limited myself to TV and movies. Okay. Well, that's that's kind of all I'm thinking about. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't know if you were thinking of any other forms of media, but. Just to, I guess I'm just establishing that it's not going to be books. I'm not as concerned about commercials depicting battles or... I mean, the Bud Knight was a pretty compelling argument. That was pretty good. That's a good point. I also do love those Sainsbury's commercials, but that's yeah, another story I love all the ironic <laughs> like Black Friday commercials where there are actual battles occurring in Walmart parking lots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, do, I do like that. <laughs> they're just like flaming shopping carts rolling by. <laughs> yeah i think i think as i think about this list and i'm looking at some of mine i do think there's going to be some some very good positive overlap with the um the chills episode yeah i think you're right 
Yeah, I, I can think of a, a couple that we may have alluded to already. Let's roll into it. I'm excited to get to it. What'd you have for number 10, Bone? All right, so number 10, starting off hot in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> it's the Battle of Endor. Ah. Aha. Interesting. So I picked the Battle of Endor from the Star Wars universe because... More so than the Battle of Hoth, which was the other contender from Star Wars, it really represents all... There are three big battle scenes going on. There's the battle on the ground with the Ewoks, where the Ewoks defeat the Empire on the ground, helped by Han Solo and Princess Leia. Then there is the battle in space with Lando Calrissian and the rebel fleet taking on the Empire fleet. Uh, And then there's also the smaller battle between Luke, the Emperor, and Darth Vader going on inside. And all of this is occurring simultaneously. And in particular, this may be my hottest take of the podcast, but I do love the fact that the Ewoks beat the Empire. I know a lot of people... (laughs) hate the fact that little teddy bears take down the most advanced machinery by throwing actual piles of shit at them (laughs) i'm i'm a little bit concerned i i think that some of the later star wars films uh racial under and overtones are pretty well trod i'm a little concerned about some of the the endor things that were happening but i did on a very pure level, find it kind of delightful that these fuzzy little things were taking the Empire down in a way that utterly defies logic. Exactly. It's one of those things that just in my heart of hearts brings me joy. Yeah. And I can't get around it no matter how much logic says, really, this is problematic. <laughs> I think this might need to be number one just because I can picture... An eight-year-old Jameson clapping gleefully while this is happening, while a like seven-year-old Derek just pelts you with stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's probably exactly what happened the first time we watched this movie. Yeah, I'm sure you guys both got a kick out of when the uh, the ATST loses its balance on the rolling logs and falls, and yeah. you can almost see the kapowie and the. <laughs> 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 yeah. So my question for you is this. You could pretty clearly tell which side of this argument I'm on. Are we taking into account the actual cinematic construction of the scene? So like not taking into account the epicness or the context of the battle, but actually how well the battle is shot and scored? See, that's tough. I mean, it's something that I attempted to do, and that's why this battle finds itself so low on the list. Because I actually think it's paced pretty well, and the cuts in between are done pretty well. It's just that older movies, no matter how well they're shot, they're not going to keep up with newer movies and newer technology in some cases. See, that's where I would interject and say, because just off the top of my head when you mentioned the topic... The fir- one of the first things that jumped to my mind was the Battle of Hoth, and that's one that I've rewatched a lot in the last couple of years, and I think that it actually really holds up. And while I like the cuts in the Battle of Endor, I think one of the coolest things about the Battle of Hoth is that it's pretty much just here now on the surface of the planet. You get a few cuts into to Han and them trying to repair the Falcon and get away. Mm. But the tension in that scene, and it's not so much there's very little hand-to-hand combat 
like there is in the Endor, but there's nothing more iconic in Star Wars probably than the speeders taking down the walkers. And so if, if well, we can talk about this a little later on, but for me, and, and I, despite my critiques of it, I really do, I love The Return of the Jedi and The Battle of Endor, but I think from the Star Wars universe, The Battle of Hoth is the best one. Well, I think we don't want to get too many spoilers here, but I I also think there's some pretty good other battle stuff from the old Star Wars universe that I would consider for inclusion here. Absolutely. So, shall we move on? Yeah, so we'll, we'll be revisiting this. What's number nine? <laughs> number nine, it comes from a newer film, 300, The Battle at Thermopylae. So I'm so <laughs> glad that this is on here for... A plethora of reasons, not least of which is your expertise in the classics. But I also really just think this is such a great battle. It really changed. This is one of those classic examples of a great thing in film that ended up being a terrible thing in film because it worked really well and then everybody tried to copy it in a garbage way. Yeah. So it, it came right at a real revival in like the classic sort of myth telling and it it's one of the last things that Zack Snyder's done that really <laughs> made any sense. Made, made made good use of his very dark style of shooting. Yeah. In particular, you talk about my quote unquote expertise in the classics. It's not very grounded in reality of fighting. Not a ton. But the great thing about it is it's got a very in a way it mythologizes the the Greek myth itself, so it's almost a meta-commentary it's... on on the Greek myth itself, because the Persian army was not that big. Like, not so big that the arrows actually drowned out the sun. But it really visualizes well exactly how the Greeks saw themselves in these uh, ancient oral stories yeah. versus these barbarians from other lands. Well, and you're right, because it matches Zack Snyder's skill set like perfectly, because all he likes to do is just... Just ramp everything, like, way the fuck up. Yeah. And that's exactly what this battle needed. Like, let's give everyone 12 packs. Yeah. Let's have everyone's head come off. Like, it's yeah. crazy. Let's watch a sword swing in slow-mo. It's like... <laughs> it's... The, I, I love this movie, because it's... for Like, this came out in... Like, we were in high school, right? Yeah, we were probably, like, had, It had to be, like, 2006, 2007. This is the ultimate bro-out movie, right? Like... Yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. Like, hyper-masculine... There's boobs. There's people getting decapitated. slow-mo. Yeah, like, visceral... <laughs> blood everywhere. Like... Yeah. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It really set Remember the tone. Remember how long everybody around went around yelling, "This is Sparta!" Oh every time oh after that, movie all the douchebags who would out. go to like Halloween parties dressed as a Spartan <laughs> just to show off that they had abs. Right. Now, yeah. I was super jealous that they had abs. Sure, but it was still douchey. I think so, uh, Jameson. I think that you hit on something perfect, and you too, Kyle. Like, I think, I think that Zack Snyder, ironically, is the perfect person to do this movie because, like you said, it it shows the Greeks exactly as they saw themselves. I fear that Zack Snyder probably is not subtle enough to get that that is not actually how they were, and so he has accidentally, in his meta commentary, created yet another meta commentary about himself and the story he tells. Which is somewhat problematic, but for us, 
as observers who are allowed to put all this meaning onto it, it does tell an interesting story about the Greeks and the way they saw themselves. Exactly. And the thing is, is I'm not sure that Zack Snyder got that far. No, no, exactly. He just just made the movie he wanted to. And we ascribe all this meaning after the Totally. In a way that we are perfectly entitled to, but which he doesn't need to turn his key on. Well, probably in 10 years, we'll look back on Batman vs. Superman and be saying kind of these same things, I would think. Probably. I think especially about the uh, <laughs> the alien things, those grasshoppers. I think especially. Yeah, yeah definitely. Kyle, <sighs> wow, that was your hot take for the podcast. So you get no more. Yeah, to be clear, I hated that movie and will continue to hate it in 10 years. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, we're talking Batman, Superman, not Justice League. Batman, Superman, kind of interesting, needs further discussion down the road. Oh. Call, call me in 10 years. <laughs> wow we'll do a special like revival pod in yeah. 10 years yeah with inflation with inflation it'll be like top 13 and a half <laughs> <laughs> oh mike do you do finance <laughs> <laughs> i do really what's happening is i'm just so glad to be awake for this pod i i literally <laughs> fell asleep recording the last pod so i'm i'm, I'm flexing all my awake muscles right now i'm awake and i'm ready to roll I know what inflation is. <laughs> yeah, Mike. The the Mike fans out there were disappointed in in that last pod with Derek. There's not a lot of Mike towards the end because I was actually asleep. <laughs> well, we all know that you just set Derek up and let him roll. That's yeah. true. Let, let the just camera roll. Straight. I know. I know who the talent is, and it's Derek. All right. So number eight. Eight. Number eight, coming from a movie I just recently watched as Ooh. part of the research for this, because I saw it in a couple of lists online. We Were Soldiers. It's about the Vietnam War. Okay. And specifically, there's a battle scene that's referred to as Broken Arrow. Mm-hmm. And it's really an interesting scene because it's this platoon that's pinned down by the Viet Cong, as in a lot of other Vietnam movies. Mm-hmm. However, they are so pinned down, and they're holding on to some pretty hefty intelligence, that they call in airstrikes on their own position, not only Yeesh. to take yeah, to take out the Viet Cong, but ostensibly also to take out the intelligence cache. So, one... I mean, and this is a scene that is kind of scarred on my memory now because, as with 300, it feels like a bit of a meta-commentary about how Americans and ourselves view the Vietnam War because there's this fighter jet that's streaking across the sky about to drop its payload and all you see in front of it is just the jungle erupting in flames and just everything turned to chaos and... nothing makes sense because you're bombing your own guys basically have you seen this movie mike i have not seen this one i'm probably gonna try to offer up some other vietnam stuff that i'm more familiar with but i'm i'm utterly on board with you i think any time that the vietnam war is portrayed on screen it's really effective for modern viewers because i think in the same way that we've now kind of gotten used to the notion of fighting in urban environments any viewer at this time had to get used to the idea of fighting in a jungle environment where (laughs) our preset both as humans in the real world and as viewers of movies is the big open battlefield on the plane somewhere and it's really visually striking to see 
how difficult actual combat is in the in the jungle like that. I mean, it, it also just struck me because of the difficulty of the choices that yeah. people had to make. Mm-hmm. And I just thought the the choice to sort of shoot it out of like the viewpoint of a fighter jet itself, especially just when everything erupts and it, it the movie sort of goes silent. It's almost reminiscent of like the scene in The Last Jedi, mm. which spoiler alert where the sound just goes out and everything sort yeah. of feels like it's stopped mm-hmm. except they're just <clears throat> flames mushrooming everywhere on the screen so that's number eight is it time for a not top three or i'm not let's do number seven and then we'll do a not top three there's All a certain right. rhythm to these things you know okay i'm just taking my cues from mike here jaybone yeah excellent all right so number seven is throwing it back again to Mel Gibson's Braveheart and yes. the Battle of Sterling. This is always going to be on here. It I'm actually a little. I'm a little shocked to see it this low. Oh, just you wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I think I think this one's an interesting question, kind of back to what you asked at the beginning, Kyle, about the relative weight that we give to the dramatic weight of the moment, mm-hmm. as well as the overall quality of the movie versus the actual quality of the battle. Because I would argue that from just a viewer standpoint, somebody who's seen a lot of war movies, the Braveheart battle doesn't really stand out in terms of scope or filming, anything like that. It stands out in terms of weight because you're so invested in the battle that this one guy is having. So that's kind of, I think that this one, it, its effectiveness weighs more heavily on the Mel Gibson character than a lot of the other ones. Yeah, it's an interesting counterpoint to a battle, like a Hoth-type battle. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth, Mike, because I, upon rewatching it, I was just struck how not particularly well done the battle scene itself is. Mm-hmm. It's just the weight you ascribe to it because of how good the rest of the movie is, and in particular, the speech that comes right at the beginning. So, oh, yeah. Right, so if you were if you were to play a little, do a little exercise here and talk about, if you were to just sit down no context, yes. and just watch these battle scenes. This would not even be on this list. It's probably not that close yeah, no. to being on the list. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's a great point. That, that's right. kind of an interesting test. It doesn't necessarily rank one above the other, because we're not in film school. We're, you know, we're, we're yeah. a bunch of goofballs watching a couple movies. But I think that is an interesting test to kind of figure out which side of this ledger it, it lands on. Test is find someone you know that hasn't seen Braveheart if you can and just show them this. Like if you tried to show this to someone on YouTube, mm-hmm. it just wouldn't. It wouldn't work. Yeah, it'd be like it'd be like showing somebody a funny video that you saw like four years ago and then you play it on YouTube and you're like, oh, actually, this, this wasn't that, this wasn't that funny. funny. Mm-hmm. You tried it, you'd be like, no, you have to, you because this guy did, you know, this, and you'd have to like, be, you'd explain, you'd explain away half the battle and it, and then they would just look at you funny and watch something else, something else, yeah, yeah, so. Yeah. But yeah, I like I like the call, and we can discuss later on a little bit more in depth about our relative weights Waiting and what up. we're what we're considering here. Absolutely. All right, so not top three now. Let's do it. All right, so our not top three kicks off with Pearl Harbor, um, mm. the Ben Affleck version. Okay. I just it's something about the way they tried too hard to make <clears throat> the love story an integral part of the battle because it it makes sense in the context of the times because this movie came out like two or three years after titanic Mm -hmm. if i remember correctly yeah and titanic just everybody knows it 
rolled through the box office and everything. But it tried too hard and undervalued exactly what happened at Pearl Harbor that day by focusing on people and events that were further away from the harbor who were scrambling to get up in jets and didn't really take part in the battle itself. Yeah, I'm with you. It's It's not a great one. I've actually not seen Pearl Harbor, so I can't contribute. Good choice. You made the right choice. Watch an old film reel. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Second in the not top three, and you guys will have strong opinions about this one, The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. Oh, Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I didn't even think, I didn't even thought of that. That was so poopy. Oh, that was so poopy. I couldn't follow what was happening half the time. There were five armies. That's problem number one. Like I, I'm, I'm not in, I'm not in screenwriting class, but I can tell you, it's usually easier when there are two, two armies. We're talking three at the at most yes, here. You want if you really want to get crazy, three, five is too many. That's why most of the world's actual conflicts are resulting from that. People get confused once you count past two. It's hard. <laughs> I don't, I don't even remember the dwarves. I think were on our side. There was that worm that ate through the side of the mountain, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. There, right. Remember the worm. Worms? There were big worms. Yeah. All I know is th- all I know from that battle is that the orcs are always bad. That's it. Yes. That's all. Yes. Yeah, Just it's... like the the call and the urgles from Aragon, the very fresh characters that w- had nothing to do with the orcs. <laughs> so so the point being though is that I took my dad to that movie. Oh no. And my oh. dad's never watched or oh. never read the Lord of the Rings books. Oh no. And so Oh, I was confused. I can only imagine how he felt not really under knowing the characters. Poor bastard. I the, don't the know why is, I put him through and that. And we'll discuss this, I'm confident, <laughs> later on in this body of depth. <laughs> this movie is a, is like a, it's amazing that it was done by the same person that masterminded the Lord of the Rings movies, because this is what you would produce if someone told you, take all the good things about Lord of the Rings and just do the opposite. And we'll... I don't want to get too far into it right now, but this movie sucks a butt. And if you haven't seen it, do not. I, I want to, I want to just briefly tease something we're going to get into with that one. And which I'm sure we'll talk about in other things with your battle, deciding on your scope and deciding on your method of special versus practical effects is a very important choice. And I'll Get leave that it at right. that for now. But there, it, there are a lot of different choices that can be really good. Just important you make the right one for your film. I mean, Amen. Unbelievably key. Yeah. And then the piece de resistance oh boy. on this <laughs> crap cake is uh, The Phantom Menace, The Battle of Naboo. <laughs> <laughs> this was also on my short list of uh, not top threes. I just wish Naboo didn't exist. I wish they could use point Star Killer base at Naboo and just blow it out of the sky. Yeah, poor Alderaan. Like, there were so many better choices, including Naboo, that we could just blow up and out of our lives. Oh. Yeah, but the fact that the battle turned on a uh, really loose limb Gungan getting very yeah. lucky with how l- random laser blasts went off. I, I will say though that. Two-thirds, they do the same thing they do in Jedi. It's a three-part battle, and two-thirds of the battle are actually quite good, because someday when we do the top ten lightsaber duels, yes. the the duel of the fates will be one or two. Oh, without it's, a doubt. It's, in my opinion, the best, the best lightsaber duel in the entire series. 
Well, that's for now. Yeah, that's a hot take given that episode nine's coming out. Well, we'll see. Well, I'm just excited for more Darth Maul. All right, all right. Jesus, pump the brakes. And also the space space battle with uh, young Anakin and blowing up the Trade Federation ship is also a ton of fun. It's just too bad that the Naboo... It's just... It's Gungans versus droids, and it's there's there's no reason that it has to happen at all, and it's like it's just like a weird departure from normal Star Wars battles too, because yeah. they're throwing those weird like electric slingshot type deals. Yeah, and the, it's just yeah. it's, it's strange. It's just ugh, it's just not good. I mean, it was out of many weird directorial choices that George Lucas made for the prequels. That was one of the weirdest. Yeah. Just strange. Don't like I can understand I can understand like where he was at least thinking with like some of the dialogue between Anakin and Padme in episode two. Oh. As bad as it was, he was trying to oh. make it Shakespearean, but it was just so crap that Yeah. Uh, I can at least understand that thought process. I want to give another... I, I'm working on Mike's, Mike's cinematography and screenwriting corner here today. Because I've got a couple tips for the people. When two armies can do, stick with two. If you're going to copy an artist and you don't have talent, don't copy Shakespeare. Bad idea. It's a bad idea. That's, we'll start writing writing these down. Mike Mike's top ten. These I mean, are all gonna cinematography. Be, there's like a couple yeah. simple rules, like this that. Don't don't try to imitate the Godfather. Like just there's a couple pretty immutable rules of, of screenwriting. And if don't you're not copy getting Shakespeare. Yeah. If you're not getting this down now, it will be in Mike's book. So don't 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 feel like you have to scramble to get this down. Yeah, it'll be there. Exactly. I'd, I'd like to throw up one quick one for not top three. Is yeah. We just watched this episode last night with Dill. In Thrones, the I think it's called the Battle of the Whispering Woods. Oh, yeah. Basically, Which where, one is that one? They, they, it's, it's not the, a battle. It's it's really not a battle at all. It's the one where, the, like, Grey Wind shows up and eats one guy's face. Yeah. And then it's like, And then it's like, cut bunch of dead guys it's like <laughs> they just didn't have the money to oh yeah the they scene. completely <laughs> ran out of budget it, it wasn't even a battle i didn't even consider it. it it's yeah it's a it's a dishonorable non-battle that could have been fun or yeah. one that we were lo- book readers were looking forward to is like the first big battle in thrones long term turned out to be a good decision not to show the battle but at the time it was incredibly disappointing it was a real bummer i remember there was some some flack given on the internets at the time actually if we want to go with that the Battle of Highgarden. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just skipped that one. That's just... Well... You just didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, they've, uh... They've struggled with money. They, yeah. S- spin it all... Spin it all on the dragons. Yeah. Which maybe we'll discuss which later. we shall be discussing, uh, that later. If, <laughs> the, now we actually know a person that when we say spoiler for Thrones, it means something. Yeah. Because... Dylan is the only person, I think, in existence that's catching up to this show now, so yep. we will actually want to tell him, like, just skip ahead a few minutes before we get to numbers or whatever and whatever. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's roll into number six. Yeah, back to the list. Number six, Gladiator. Yes. The opening battle in Germania. Yes! I was thinking Gladiator and couldn't quite decide which was the play, because there's this, there's when they escape from the slave camp, and then there's the final, I guess the final arena battle with all of them well if we're counting if we're following the rules of 30 then like the one where all of the slaves fight in the arena that would count 
But yeah. I think you're right. The Germania battle is the one. Yeah, and once again, my love of the classics got the best of me because this is as close as you get in movies that I've seen to the Roman army operating and just imposing its will on the surrounding folk. And also, Russell Crowe gives a really good speech at the beginning of it, so that's that's always fun. Do not fear, because you're already dead. It's it's such a great line. He's like, if you find yourself walking in warm fields with the sun on your face, ugh, do not be troubled. He's great. I love his dog. I the dog the dog through line like the the CGI dog is a little weird, but I really enjoy his German Shepherd just feasting on the Germanic folk. Mm. I love those huge balls of fire exploding yeah. into the woods. And uh, now my uh, my very rudimentary understanding of Roman battle techniques indicates that there's more spear work and probably a little bit less in the way of the bows and arrows and then the the swords that said i really like the emphasis on the roman discipline which i think felt true to form yeah it it absolutely did and that that's the key that comes through there and that's how they conquered so many people around them and and the fact that they just threw way more numbers at battles than anybody else could yeah I also think one thing that a good battle scene should do, and that a lot of them don't do, is it should convey the character of the person we're supposed to be following. So I'll save it for when we talk about maybe some other folks, but there's some other battles I can think of where the personality of the character we're supposed to be following really comes through in their style of fighting. And I think that we, we knew everything we needed to know about Maximus within about three minutes of this scene. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it really sets the tone well for the rest of the movie because it establishes him as a competent general, an excellent fighter, and someone who loves home, loves his homeland, Mm -hmm. and particularly his homeland because of his home life. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it just does everything that a battle really should, battle scene really should do, especially an opening battle. Yeah, it's quite a way to start a movie off. Oh, yeah. yeah. And also that they found an emperor. There's actually an emperor named Commodus to set up as his foil. Well done to the Romans. Yeah, good work. <laughs> All right, moving on to number five. This one actually is an entire movie itself Ooh. called The Battle of Midway. And uh-huh. the reason I chose it is this movie actually came out in the late 40s. Mm-hmm. So just after the event, uh, the fact... And it was actually shot during the battle. Ah! Oh. On, on the planes. This is feeling propaganda-y, but I'm, I'm willing to go with you. It, it's a little propaganda-y, but it's an unbelievable movie because you, the way that they shot it and the way that they cut it made you understand the stakes. Mm. It, it, it feels tense the entire time. I mean, obviously... You kind of have to keep reminding yourself that this was actually real life. These are people's planes really going down. Mm -hmm. But then that also reminds you of the stakes at that actual battle because that is where the war in the Pacific turned. That's where the U.S. really put the Japanese fleet on its heels and started to island hop from there on. So it's one of those things. And, And then just the fact that they 
had actual footage in enough actual footage from the battle to put together an entire it's not a very long movie it's under an hour but they had enough footage to put together a coherent movie from beginning a battle to the end just unbelievable so i just googled this and it was directed by john ford that's uh that's pretty unbelievable so he's the guy who directed the searchers was his big one he did grapes of wrath couple really well-known old movies that's that's really interesting i didn't know i didn't know that about him yeah i didn't know who directed it either i just knew that it had some very cool facts and that i growing up in char or going to charleston growing up you could always see parts of it on on the yorktown they'd always show it in like a little movie theater at the back and it's it's a it's um a mainstay at basically any World War II museum you ever visit. You, you'll see a clip from it somewhere. Wow. So, all right, moving back more into our forte with number four. The, ah, forte. <laughs> the ah. battle. The battle of Helm's Deep. There it is. Yeah. This is like. Yeah. <laughs> this is hallowed ground we are walking on. We're yeah. getting up there. I don't know if you guys have ever delved into the bonus content in for the two towers. But it is really, really worth your time to watch some detail on how this battle was shot and filmed. It is really incredible, the stuff that they did. They constructed a a scale. Portions of it are actual built-out, scaled sets. And portions of it are a very realistic model. And it's really cool to see how they stitch the two together. Apart from that, this is... So far, the only battle on this list that's a siege, and it really has a different feel than a lot of these different ones, because quite literally, it's our heroes with their backs against the wall, basically digging their feet in the ground and holding out as long as they can against an actual, like a a literal wave onslaught of evil coming at them. Yeah. And Mike and I have said this before, and we'll say it again. We think that The Two Towers is the best of those three movies. Yeah. And I think a hefty portion of the credit goes to this amazing battle scene. So this this is the exact scene that I would think of. Now back to my class again. No, this is the exact scene I would think about when I were thinking about the decision to go practical or to go special effects. The fact that when all of those orcs are outside the orcs and the orakai are lined up outside of the wall and it starts to rain (sighs) and you can just see their breath start to mist up that would never ever have worked as well if that had been a special effect the fact that those are actual people breathing and snorting it was so terrifying i remember this scene it was so terrifying as a kid and now it's not quite as terrifying but it's just as awe-inspiring. It's when you hear them start to shake their spears on the ground and they cut. This is also what was brilliant. They cut to all of the women and children and the older men underneath in Helm's Deep and you start to hear the rattling. I think the thing that we always have to remember as viewers is at least supposedly in the timeline of these characters, they don't know that there's a third movie. Just like Harry Potter doesn't know that there's another book coming out. Like, they don't know this. These are people who legitimately could have had it all end at this time. And I think the movie brings those stakes 
like really to you. I think one of the other things that really brings that is when I'm forgetting his name now, but the elf, when he dies, when you realize an elf can die so easily, it's really scary. They just, it's so physical. It's so grounded in the physical and the pain and the cold and you're so there. Yeah. And I think one of the genius moves, though, is it could have been so, so incredibly dark. Mm-hmm. But the characters yes. of Legolas and Gimli mm-hmm. starting their account fight yep. and then Legolas surfing the shield down oh, yeah. the stairs. Unbelievable. Don't have to toss me! When he tosses <laughs> them, yeah. I cannot jump the distance! <laughs> totally. I can't see! I think Would having... What does he ask? Would you like to get? Would you like me to get you a stool? A, a stool? Box. Yeah, <laughs> a box. Yeah, I, I think I think this was a really good understanding. It's like when you realize that the Avengers can't be led by a Batman-like character. This battle was so dark and so upsetting that it would have been really kind of annoying and pretty dull if it were Aragorn focused. You mm-hmm. needed to save the Aragorn for Return of the King. Here, you needed somebody to sort of be your Watson and guide you through it. And I think you're right. That's a really good point. Legolas and Gimli were our Watson for this one. Yeah, that sort of told you everything would somehow work out because otherwise, 12-year-old us would have, like, cowered in the seats in the theater. Yeah. Another aspect I love about this battle is that compared to another Lord of the Rings battle scene that I'm confident is higher on this list. There are very few aspects of this battle that are obviously fantasy elements. For example, it's battering rams and ladders and arrows. And that dude running in with the bomb. Right. And they're like bolstering the door from the other side and they're wearing chain mail. And like the, the other, and there are no, like there are no giant cave trolls or oliphants or the undead or, uh, what do you call them? The wraiths. The ring wraiths, yeah. Yeah, like, those elements are what make Lord of the Rings so amazing, and it's what makes this other battle so incredible, but I think one of the reasons I love Helm's Deep so much is because it feels so much like what you imagined was conventional warfare at that time, but with this twist of you're fighting these monsters that literally come out of the ground. Like, yeah. it, it's it's a really cool douche, douche time. It's a really cool juxtaposition. <laughs> Yeah. No, you're you're so right. I think that one of the most grounded and terrifying parts of this whole battle is when the battering ram first breaks through the door. You hear it hitting the door and you're like, oh shit. And then it finally breaks through and you're like, oh. Like this just, it really passes the can I imagine myself there test in a mm-hmm. way that a lot of other battles don't. This is one I always really acutely felt myself there, whether it's because they have all these old guys dressed up and these little boys <laughs> dressed up, and they're all yeah. there. they got to be there. Yeah. Whatever it was, I just I could imagine myself there, and I know I wouldn't have done so hot, and that's a really good battle scene. And then, of course, Gandalf coming from the east, oh! the dawn of the third oh. day. Oh. Yeah, that was the that was the right time and the right way to bring the sci-fi element, the fantasy element back in. But I think the last thing I want to say about this one is that you brought up a good point because I think what Peter Jackson really did well in this one compared to say some of the battles in Return of the King is he established the stakes by making those cuts to the women and children and elder really elderly down below huddling beneath and hearing the orcs stamp below 
establishing those stakes was a huge part of this battle, and it's also a huge part of number three, <laughs> which is Hard Home from Game of Thrones. Ah, interesting. Dylan, go ahead and skip ahead a few minutes. Yeah, Dylan, <laughs> skip this part. We'll, we'll blur out the sound. Schnarch gnome. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hard Home, once again, same as the last comment about Helm's Deep, it's all about establishing the stakes. Oh, yeah. Jameson, I, I'm really looking forward to talking about Hard Home. Do you want to rattle off your honorable, honorable mentions real quick? Oh, yeah. So, honorable mentions. Let's do that first. Honorable mentions. This one doesn't qualify, but it's so iconic that it needs to be mentioned. Apocalypse Now, the helicopter scene. Okay, uh, why doesn't that qualify? Not enough people? Because no one else fights back. Ooh, we might need to discuss whether that qualifies or not, because I want to talk about it. Continue. Okay, the Battle of Gagamela from Alexander, which oh is an absurd movie. <laughs> wow. But you are is, the best. You it love is those robots. Absurdly accurate, uh, unfortunately. So I had to give it some props there. Yeah, it's not there's... a not a great not a great movie. But they too much Colin no Farrell experience. in that movie. Yep, that was mid that was mid period Colin Farrell. I like early and then late Colin Farrell. This was mid period Farrell. Yeah, the Kingdom of Heaven, which yes. suffers oh from the God. same thing with Orlando Bloom. But the battle from Jerusalem is very similar to the battle for Helm's Deep. <laughs> so it, des- it deserved mention there. Okay. The battle of Hogwarts, of course, deserves an honorable mention. Interesting as an honorable. And then <laughs> a couple more. The last of the Mohicans, the attack on the English column. That is a good one. From the miniseries The Pacific, the battle of Iwo Jima. Okay. I... Were you going to go with Peleliu? No, I, I don't I don't remember at all because I watched the Pacific so long ago, but I'm really glad you brought up the Pacific. I want to talk about it right now because I don't think it's going to deserve to be in it later. No. I'm, I'm just like the one fool who didn't watch Band of Brothers. I'm probably, my dad and I are the two people who watched the Pacific but not Band of Brothers. Yeah. The Pacific was so brilliantly done. The battles were so good in that. I remember... In the way we were saying about Helm's Deep, just feeling the stakes so, so acutely in that move, in that show, I cared so much about those characters so quickly. And those battles were so damn miserable. Oh my God. That, ugh, that was just so well done. I'm glad you brought the Pacific up. Yeah, it needed to be brought up. Yeah. I haven't watched the whole thing, and yeah. I feel like a fool for falling off the train when i did i might watch band of brothers now and maybe rewatch the pacific because I-, I remember just thinking that was magnificent and then the last honorable mention is the sacrifice of faramir um <sighs> at, in return of the king <sighs> oh faramir <sighs> great great friend of the pod we do love faramir on this and he podcast. will come up again and again and again, and again. yeah so hard home hard so, home hard Hard home. Excellent battle scene in its own right. Yep. But everybody or everybody except Dylan now knows that the kicker is the very end where the stakes for the rest of the series the rest of the series are established. We talked about this at length on our Goosebumps pod because I argue that that's the goosebumpiest moment in in Thrones lore in the show at least. But before that, the actual battle is really incredible. It's 
terrifying. But yeah, there are some really fun aspects to it. Like them, like the quiet after the first initial like avalanche and yeah, then yeah. the assault on the gate. Yeah, just the pounding on the gate. And then the moment when John realizes that the Valyrian steel blade can kill a walker. How is, he's literally just scrambling for his life through that burning uh, like hut. So I don't want to spoil anything, but there's another Game of Thrones battle that really, really goes all in on making a battle feel lived in and real. Are there any more Thrones battles on this list? There are, in fact. Okay. 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 So I'll hold my tongue. <laughs> yeah. I this, but this battle, I think, I think you guys are right. It, and the silence was really well done. It was really well shot. I thought that it almost felt like they were using different visual effects for this one because I thought that the animation on the walkers was better than it had ever been. This was this was amazing. I'm just I was just looking at the IMDb page and I'm. Now remembering one of the things that I think made this best was just how unexpected it was. Yeah. Yeah. Because indeed. this was not something we were expecting to see, and it was in the eighth episode. So it wasn't the classic ninth episode ninth. battle. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, I, this just punched me in the face. I remember I was folding laundry. I, I remember watching this because the way it used to fall, we would have the last couple episodes after school we'd have to watch on our own. And I was just mm-hmm. folding laundry, and I was like, what the hell is going on? And just punched me right in the dick. I think we watched that one together on, like, a Google Hangout. And yeah. I just remember, like, we, we always mute each other during the show. So, the, whatever. But, like, seeing everyone's stunned faces as it started to go down, that, that was really fun. Yeah, the the one that really got me was seeing Mike Martell actually look stunned for a moment. <laughs> not something that doesn't happen often. that often. Yeah. Not too often you see fear in the King of the North's eyes. No. No. No, I also just love that that Nordic actress that they got to appear for this one episode. We were all so excited. We thought she was going to be like this new cool wildling character. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm bummed she croaked, but I thought it was spoiler, Dylan. It, she dies in the Schnarch Gnome episode, but I thought it was really <laughs> clever of them to tease us with an actress who we all were like, I know that girl. Wasn't she in Pitch Perfect or something? And so you're kind of teased with it. And you're like, oh, this is going to be a storyline I follow for a while. And then it's like, no. Nope. Dick punch. Yeah. Yeah. But just cinematic qualities. Yeah. Establishing the stakes for the rest of the series. How much it teaches you about what it will inform the main character that you're supposed to follow's actions going forward. Yeah. Just checks every box. Totally. And I think with all these battles, as important as anything in fact probably just as important as anything else is the pre-battle hush and the post-battle recap and this one has both a terrific pre-battle hush and i think the perfect post-battle recap which is to have no recap because there is no recap necessary all you need to do is show the little crows flying back to their nest in their boat there's nothing else in all you hear is the oars in the water right if i'm remembering correctly you just hear a lap well, Laugh. it's a brilliant yep. thing because they just go to the pan out cut. Yep. And you're about like a mile behind the boats and all you see is the boat like pulling away from the shore and the Night King just standing there like LeBron James. I'm the damn king. That's all you and that's all the you need. Yeah. yeah, the baby. <laughs> I'm glad there was no need to explain it. They didn't need any explanation. Yeah, and then they just went with the oars and like the water lapping over the credit as it went. Yes, through the you're credits. right. That is what they did for the credits. <sighs> yeah, 
<sighs> All right, that was number three. Now number two, our other Game of Thrones battle. So, Bob. Dylan, continue to plug your ears. <laughs> this one is the Battle of the Bastards. Obviously. <sighs> I'm starting to have a little trouble breathing over here. <sighs> this, I think more than any other battle, there's only one other battle. It's not even really a battle scene in movies that makes you feel so vulnerable and puts you in the shoes of someone that's at the mercy of the dumb chance that these battles are yeah is battle of the bastards because there are a bunch of times where and it it's cool because the camera follows behind kit harrington's head like really closely so it's very much from his perspective and just a number of times when his back is turned and he's could very easily have been killed by like a a, a stampeding horse that doesn't even have a rider yep or or just the dumb luck of arrows pelting everyone next to you, but not you. And and then, of course, that fucking terrifying mosh pit. Ugh. of his own, he's just crushed and <gasps> gasping for air. Like you would if you were on this, this small piece of land where hundreds and hundreds of people were killing each other. Ugh. That... that that scene more than only only one other scene I can think of stressed me out and made me feel so vulnerable as that one did. Well, I think yeah. what that what you got at Kyle is exactly the thing that makes this one so good is the stupidity of the chance involved. But what's interesting is it sort of functions on two levels for the show because it both has to show you the amount of chance and luck that goes into somebody like Jon Snow surviving, but it also has to simultaneously whisper in your ear this is happening because he's chosen. And right. I think it does both of those really effectively. But yeah, it's it's crazy. It's You're right. The horses with no rider, like, that's that's what gets you. That's what gets you in the end. Like, you see, like, he narrowly escapes one thing, then he narrowly escapes another, and then just out of nowhere, like, you're not even expecting it, just the arrows pelting everywhere. Yes, the arrows were a big part of why this worked so well. Just, like, Oof. completely irregularly just pelting arrows down there. And then, like you were saying, just when they're surrounded and crushed and everything, uh, sheer dumb luck, as oh. Professor McGonagall would say. Yeah. What's interesting about this? Yeah. What's interesting about this particular battle is that more than most battles, it really highlights the ebb and flow of what something like that would be. Yeah. Just the adrenaline rush of John losing his shit and rushing in before he should, and the and all of that and then like after the crush scene when they're all kind of together it slows it down. pans and it's really slow and it's just quiet and it's just like this weird super upsetting feeling of like well over the next like half hour to an hour yep. we're just gonna stand here and die yep. yeah. and like it's like almost monotonous until the knights of the veil show up and it's just like really gutturally upsetting place to be and and then obviously afterwards once the knights come there's probably the most satisfying scene in thrones history without a doubt <laughs> so yeah yeah this is an epic epic battle scene yeah but also something that struck a chord with me is it shows finally shows the agency that sansa stark's taking over and pulling some strings of her own yeah and taking an active role in her life in how events in the realm turn out rather than than being a passive receiver because what rewatching some of the early ones with Dylan right now 
it just struck me how she was just tossed and turned by every little thing and didn't see how to how she had any agency and she really had to fight fight and without a doubt grind for it so i I want to give a shout to rian ewan for playing uh ramsey bolton so well though because yeah you hate the living daylights out of that guy dude's not getting free drinks at any clubs (laughs) all right well let's uh let's get let's get it what's number one there bone number one was there ever another one Saving Private Ryan, the D-Day yeah. battle. I figured as There much. could not be my, a different number one. My old, And this is the one I was referencing just now. This is the only battle more gutturally upsetting than Battle of the Bastards. I don't... I can't think of few times being more affected by a battle scene. Or I can think of no times of being more <laughs> affected by a battle scene than this one. I remember my parents talked about people when they went to see it, people getting up and walking out of the theater yeah. during the opening battle scene just because it couldn't deal with it. And like even Google searching it now, you can see like stories about people who had PTSD. Like uh, the VA had a real surge in PTSD, people calling in to get therapy treatment after in the weeks after this movie came out. But it's, an excellent portrayal. It's unbelievable because, once again, as we touched on a little bit with Gladiator, it really makes you understand Tom Hanks' character within about 15 minutes yeah. of the movie beginning. Especially at the very... And the rest of the band, too. Like, one of the moments that sticks out to me is, I think he's the lieutenant reaching down and stuffing sand or dirt from the beach into his tin. It says Normandy and then slipping it into his pack and you see like Egypt, Italy written on there. It's just one of one of those ticks that reminds you that of who these people are and just the ways that people deal with the trauma of living through shit like that literal hell yeah yeah that's that is the most helpless i've ever felt watching a movie it's it's weird to me because it's one of the few movies of a, of a special kind that is grown more terrifying as i've gotten older because when i first watched it a lot of my reaction was gross like i thought it was gross and it is it's it's gross but as I've gotten older, what I've realized is it's helpless because, you know, when I was 12 watching this, I just thought I was in control of everything in my own life. And as a 25 year old now, I realize if I rolled the clocks back, you know, 70 years and I'm 20, 25 years old, I'm there. That's not really yeah. my call. I'm there. And you're either there or in Guadalcanal. Yeah. So and and I'm not and I'm not I don't think I would be a brave guy on that beach, but I'd have to be on that beach and you watch and you see this bravery of this really strange sort that these guys just, they just went and it was horrifying. And you hear people calling for their moms and it's awful. And you see people holding their stomachs together and you just, you hear the clink of those enormous bullets clanging off of their boats and you see guys getting dragged down under the water and they just kept going. They just kept going, and there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons that they just kept going, but they just kept going, and you know, at the end of this story is they saved the world. It's crazy. Yeah, 
I mean, another thing that struck me, part of that battle that struck me is when the medic is trying to save the guy, mm-hmm. and then the sniper, the German sniper, takes him out from the pillbox, yep. and he just throws his shit down and goes, give us a chance, just give me a fucking chance, and yeah. loses his shit in the middle of bullets flying everywhere, yeah. and basically stands up and throws a temper tantrum. Yeah, It's just unbelievable, and it, it, I mean, just fantastic writing, but I mean, it's such a human reaction and such an inhuman situation I, and then, I, uh, yeah. and then uh, uh, some other things that i thought of i mean obviously the ingenuity that's introduced like i was saying showing tom hanks character the guy you're supposed to be following mostly when he is talking about how to start to take the pillbox uses the gum to like put on the mirror and peek around the corner that sort of stuff. And then how they clear out the pillbox, just the flamethrowers, unbelievable. I mean, that's terrifying. Literally the worst way I can think of to go. And the one other moment that I thought of is when they're running up toward the pillbox and they just see the, or they've taken the pillbox and the two German guys come running out and they just shoot them, no questions asked. Yep. It's like, you'd like to think that no one would do that, but you've just been on a beach for 30 minutes getting shot at by anybody who's been up here. If you're them, you don't take any chances. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know how to an- answer that question. It's easy when you're sitting in philosophy 101, but... The fact that this movie makes you reconcile with all those different things is a, is a testament to how well this scene is crafted. And this is within 15 minutes. Yep. Right. Yeah, I think there's arguably parts of this movie that are a little slow and kind of drag a little bit. I think that for me, this movie, the best parts of this movie are this, and then a lot of the more quiet moments. I think there are some other parts of this movie that don't work quite as well. It's amazing that this part works as well as it does, where we don't really need to know anybody yet. All we need to see are these young boys going through this. And yet, in the process, we get, like you said, some really interesting insights into the people we are going to be following. I mean, because it, it literally just cut from the man kneeling down, who you haven't really been introduced to, nope. in front of the grave at Normandy. And then it just cuts to them on the boats. Yeah, And so you have no idea if that man is one of them, or you assume he's one of them, because it really cuts from his face to the face of the captain. Right. And so, for a little while, I remember during my first watching, I assumed it was him. Yeah. So... I think that's probably intentional. Yeah. But, I don't know. I think, without a question, this is number one. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Did you have any more, Mike? We're at an hour and three here, so we we gotta hustle a little bit. Any battles I was thinking about? Yeah. A couple I just wanted to mention. I'll throw the couple that are kind of more honorable mentions i think rogue one i love that ending battle i especially love the donnie yen part i think he's amazing that's a that movie is a real testament to making you care about your characters because that's not even close to the most technologically interesting or advanced battle that happens in star wars but it's the one where you care about as much about the characters as any Mm mm-hmm I think that the battle at the end of The Dark Knight Rises is not particularly, I, I guess, it's not that interesting in what happens, but it's really impactfully shot. I love the scene of all the police officers running down the street. 
Yeah. I think it's beautifully done. I love that it happens in broad daylight. And I think it's um, it's pretty cool because it really makes it ties together the revolutionary themes of the movie. So I love that. I think that the final battle in the Lord of the Rings should probably be warrant some consideration. Minas Tirith. Yeah. I think that one that I really will stump for is Dunkirk. I think that most or all of Dunkirk could be on here because I think it does a lot of what Saving Private Ryan does really well. It just puts you there. I think the scene where the boys are below decks uh, when the torpedo hits is just horrifying. I also think that that opening scene when all of the you are surrounded flag uh, flyers fall is amazing. So the whole movie is is incredible. And so there's some moments that I think it would be unfair to put against battles per se. So I guess I would probably choose... I think I would probably choose the Tom Hardy air battle portion of this to, because it's unlike anything we've really ever seen, seeing a battle through the eyes of the air like that. Apocalypse Now, I see what you're saying, Jameson. I still think it's amazing to have taken a movie where you're hearing the flight of the Valkyries over the helicopter speakers while, what's his name there, Robert Duvall is surfing and people are getting napalmed and it doesn't yeah. feel disrespectful and stupid it feels incredibly human and just horribly upsetting was that's an upset for that to have worked yeah i think henry v was pretty awesome that's a great battle scene it's just a great speech uh as much I've as never, anything i've never seen that one like on yeah. film it's a good one it's kenneth branagh so it's uh professor lockhart was he the one in was that agincourt yeah okay yeah, that's a that's actually a really good one. Um, and then ones that I don't know. If, well, Black Hawk Down is another one that I think is really good. That's a good one. Two that I don't think really count as battle scenes per se, but I think are great like combat scenes. Zero Dark Thirty, the end. That probably doesn't yeah. count, but it's that's no. one of the best combat scenes I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, and the movie Seventy One, where a British soldier is fighting his way in Ireland to get out of the city as it's being occupied by the IRA, was a really extended battle scene in a really good way. So I would say of these, I think the ones I'd want to argue for are Dunkirk and the battle of Hogwarts that I think would legitimately warrant consideration here. Kyle, you want to throw out a couple? I had a few. One that I saw pretty recently that I thought was the fun. And a lot of these are pretty, pretty heavy battles. I thought the battle scene in ready player one was such a pure delight. Yeah. Yeah. Due to the, ridiculous number of references and character cameos mecha godzilla versus gundam is just like over the top and the iron giant i was not disappointed with how they used the iron giant in that movie which is saying a lot yeah because i have a unholy reverence for the iron giant (laughs) Mm -hmm. i like i don't know it probably doesn't belong on this list but i i thought that was the highlight one of the highlights of that movie i was surprised how much i loved it in that vein Definitely doesn't belong, but I think the battle scene in Infinity War was incredible. We talked yep. about it with Thor. Yeah. I also like the kind of the siege battle scene at the end of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Okay. Oh, that's more than a little bit interesting. I think that might be worthy of consideration. I I think that's an epic battle, I, and it's, and it's kind of like Helm's Deep. I think it's actually a better battle than the battle in the final installment of that series. Mm. Oh, just a, a fun one. Anchorman and Anchorman 2. 
Brick killed the guy. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, the first scene in Tropic Thunder, that fake battle that they're building. Oh, my building. God. Yeah. Um, That's pretty good. A couple more Thrones ones. Loot Train, which doesn't the loot <laughs> quite count because it's more just everyone getting burnt alive. Yeah. But that... That's another one of those battles that really puts you in somewhat a, a, a grunt's shoes. Yeah, when you hear those wings beating. Oh. <sighs> Blackwater as well from Thrones, I yep. think, is a, is a really good scene. That's yeah. when you realize they could do a battle. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I think that's pretty... Oh, also, wait, the Watchers on the Wall, if we're talking Thrones, I Watchers on the Wall has become an egregiously underrated episode. Yeah, because you're right. Now people don't even talk about it. That episode was amazing. Shouts to Egret. Congratulations. Yep. Big wedding this weekend. Yeah, that's true. No, that's a that's a great a great battle. We also should throw Battle of Hoth on there since we spent so much time talking about it. Well, I'm I'm actually going to lobby hard to yeah. have that jump on the list. I think that's worthy. The last one I want to mention is I really like if we're talking about cinematically valuable battle scenes is about halfway through the Revenant when the Native Americans raid that Furter village. Didn't even think of that. That should probably be on the list. That's, <gasps> that is as... Oh, God. It's, you, got, you guys are going to kill me, but I still haven't seen that. So yeah. this is one of those cool... It's probably a seven-minute scene, and it's just like one shot all the way through. It's Just like it, that awesome up, movie Birdman. Yeah, just like that. It's almost like it was directed by the same guy. Yeah. It's it's just it's these Native Americans that come in on horseback and they're raiding a fur trading village and it is it's it's it, it's hard to watch but also you just can't tear your eyes away cuz it's yeah. so beautifully shot. It's also hard to explain until you've seen it because you can't really understand how realistic it feels in the way the arrows come flying at you. Like it does it's hard to do it justice until you've actually seen it. I don't know what he did so differently, but it felt very different than any battle I'd ever seen. Okay. Yeah. So and so those are those are mine. I think we should hurry up and, and do this. Yeah. Alright. The ones I'm serious about are Hoth and I, I like some of yours, Mike. I think that Battle of Hogwarts makes sense because if we're if we're taking into account context, Battle of Hogwarts is the end of. It also just notably does some of the things that we talked about really well. The dining hall, mm-hmm. the great hall, serves as Helm's Deep in this one. Mm-hmm. The Voldemort broadcasting through people's minds functions as Ooh. the orcs and orakai stamping outside. The Harry going into the woods after serves as the hush after. The hush before, as uh, Professor McGonagall tells the castle to defend itself, like, it has all of the elements of a great battle. I think it's, I would argue that it should be not just on, but probably fairly high. I think it suffers from the fact that we all had a very specific vision for it. And so it always was going to battle with that. And in my brain, it still conflicts a little bit, especially the Harry Voldemort battle, which I still find utterly unsatisfying on screen. Yeah. The fact that he never said show remorse is, is unspeakable. It's that's an unspeakable travesty because that was the whole point, whatever. But the actual battle itself was brilliant. So I think that one can go in at number five. I just have a really soft spot in my heart for Battle of Midway. Yeah, we love you. That's fallen off the list. But that's a great... I'm really glad you mentioned it. Yeah. I I don't think it can go above Helm's Deep, though. Because up there, that's rarefied air where it's going to be tough to... 
I think that we... All right, so let's let's just do this. So Saving Private Ryan stays at one. Yeah. Without a doubt. I think we should pick a Thrones battle. Because because if we were I, I like because you're right Mike Watchers on the wall yeah if we're get, if we're getting if we're going seriously down that road that we've got like seven Thrones battles I, I think rather than grouping like we like to do I think we should pick one and I think the one to pick you were right your instinct was correct I think we should pick Battle of the Bastards all right yeah I I can live with that does that does that seem fair to you Mike or do you think Hard Home has has also, also has a place on here or a, or a different Thrones battle no I'm definitely a Bastards guy. I think so. I think so far we've identified hard home, midway. I think Endor is probably also vulnerable. I think Endor is, but it's going to be replaced with Hoth if we yes. do anything. Because yeah. Star Wars needs to be represented. I, I think I haven't seen it, so it's hard to say. I think part of what we like to do is is just general popularity can't hurt you if it's a lesser known film. I just don't know how many people know we were soldiers. We were soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. I, and obviously, I can't speak a word to the quality of the battle scene. Same. So, so I don't know. And the the other one is it, Braveheart. It feels like either needs to go up or down depending on how we decide Wait. it qualifies. Yeah. And it feels like, based on the way this list is going, it might move down a little bit. I think it may fall off. Right. So, that's a couple of ones there, and I think that leaves us enough room to do what we want to do here. I think so, too. I think that that's a, a good negotiation of that list. Jameson, you feel comfortable? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. In that case, I think Helm's Deep belongs... I think you could argue it, it should be number two. I, I would personally slot it that high, but... I think I would also put that as number two. See, I, I just have a tough time with it going above Battle of the Bastards because, in particular, with the... You can tell the way I slant with my battles by my top two, which is the more gritty, realistic. It makes you feel like you're there because just generally the way I feel is that war is an unspeakable thing. And to really portray it well on the screen, you have to get that across. I love the Battle of Helm's Deep. But it's just a little too lighthearted because you know that the characters are going to make it out. You know, like Gimli and uh, while they're great for the battle and you need them for the fantasy element, it's just a little too much levity. I mean, some of the things that I really like about them, I think, take away from it in the end. Well, and in in the overall ranking. And you still ranked it quite high. I think I like your argument. I think... That was, that, that was persuasive. Let's keep it at three. What do we think about... Because I'm with you, Mike. I kind of like Battle of Hogwarts pretty high. Does it feel like a top five? Top four? I don't know if it goes four. I think five or six may be appropriate. Just because the the climax to the movie version, as Mike already mm-hmm. mentioned, was not what it needed to be. So, I, I think that that's probably fair. I don't know if this is a little too crazy, but I have rarely been affected by a movie as much as I was by Dunkirk and thought that it was a really good vision of what a war movie could be going forward because it used technology in a way that wasn't intrusive, but that added to the story. And I think that that's always what you want your technology to do. And I hope I-, I hope that that's something we can expect more of. Absolutely, and I'm glad it's come up. The only problem is is that there's never 
a battle in Dunkirk that technically qualifies based on the criteria of the list. I hear what you're saying. I do. I get. I get your point. Because I thought about it too, and I disqualified it based on my own criteria. So you'd argue it just shouldn't be on here. It it deserves to be mentioned in these, but I don't think I don't think it it's a spot on this list because it there's no especially if you want to argue the Tom Hardy scene, it's it's two on three. Well, you are the maker of the rules. You are the architect, so I can't argue on I on think, the basis of rules. I think the spirit of this list is. I think Jameson's right. I think Dunkirk is so special in the way it utilizes its its timelines. And but another thing is that a lot of the time it's not really strictly speaking battle it's people i think what makes that movie so special is the fact that it's people looking in the face of something they actually can't fight at all it's just sitting on a beach and understanding that you're either going to be rescued or you're You're going to die die. and there's really nothing you can do yeah you're going to run out of fuel or whatever i think it's it's how you respond to the crushing weight of insurmountable odds when you have no choice but to just sit there and it's sort of like what you said with saving private ryan except about helplessness, except for the fact that in Saving Private Ryan, I mean, there was something to do. Well, and ultimately, the, they they crest a hill, they take a bunker, yeah, they engage in a battle, and I think there's enough difference there. Yeah, is that I don't know. I I I agree with you on this one, Jameson. I hear what you're saying. I'll I'll, I'll move along, especially with, since we're at an hour and seventy seven minutes. Yeah, so let's hustle through here. So four then should be, if we go next on your list, Bone, that would put us at Gladiator. Do we feel at Gladiator or or Hogwarts? Gladiator feels too high there. I love it, but it's an opening scene. It feels too high. Let's put Hogwarts at four. I think Hogwarts four feels good. And then I actually think that, I think Hoth at five feels like a good spot. Would you go with that or The Revenant or Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? You think Hoth? Hoth. I okay. think I'd go Hoth, and then I feel inclined to go Gladiator 6 and then a power pack of recent, technically awesome Planet of the Apes Revenant kind of spree. I agree. I think that Revenant goes higher than Planet of the Apes, but I could be convinced either way. I think Revenant actually, for the technology probably is higher. I think I would actually put 300 over both of those though just because of what it was and when it came along i mean That's... and also that i i would say argue that it still has greater cultural relevance yeah. today being the tiebreaker odd is sure. that odd as that is you are right <laughs> so that means we still have one spot we could either move braveheart down there or we can we can pick another thrones or we can go apocalypse now and talk about the logistics of that because we've now... I actually of- think Apocalypse Now as the sort of Vietnam movie stand-in that people have seen, which yeah. we can agree Jameson violates the rules, but you can let me have one rule toe-tapper here. Fine. Thank you. All right. Uh, I'll give this one to you. Thank you, friend. All right. So this is our top 10 battle cinematic battle scenes. Number 10, Apocalypse Now. Number 9, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Number eight, The Revenant. Number seven, 300. Number six, Gladiator, The Battle in Germania. 
Number five, The Battle of Hoth, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Number four, The Battle of Hogwarts from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Yeah. Number three, The Battle of Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Number two, The Battle of the Bastards from Game of Thrones. And number one, Saving Private Ryan, The D-Day Battle. Fantastic, J-Bone. You knocked this one out of the park uh, and you attacked it with as much scholarly wisdom as I would have expected you to. So thank you. That was wonderful. And to all our listeners, you finally got to hear Jameson on his own turf. I also like that it went Derek and Jameson back to back. I guess fitting. It's a good comparison of styles. Absolutely. Appreciate you, my boys. All right, boys. Good work. Adios. Peace. Alrighty, friends. That was our top 10 for this week, but now we'd love to hear your top 10. So please check us out on all of our available social media outlets, traditional outlets, whatever outlets we have. Check us out on Twitter at top10km. That's all spelled out, top10km. Our email, top10km, spelled the same way, at gmail.com. Or our site, top10km.podbean.com. All forms of communication accepted, except for serial killer notes. Please don't send us any of those. If you like the pod, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never have to miss an episode of Top 10 ever again. If you didn't like it, Please, tell us why. We'll try to make the show better. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod, and our artwork was created by Erin Sant. You can check out her stuff at Sant Design on Instagram. Alrighty, goons. We'll see you next week.